It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, July 6th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. This weekend, Sitkins gathered to celebrate the 4th of July holiday with an array of events culminating in a parade through downtown. The weekend's festivities, which included music, food, field games, and performances, were some of the first large-scale gatherings since the beginning of the pandemic last year. KCAW's Tosh Kimmel attended the parade and sent this audio postcard. Yeah, it's been so great to get to connect with so many folks. Um, especially coming out of the pandemic. Nice to see people and reconnect with the community and talk about forest conservation and salmon habitat protection. So it's been a great day. (laughs) I feel really wonderful about this community. And so I've got my mask on and my husband has just got his neck rebuilt and we've got his, his cart, his handicap cart, and we are finding our way back. to think about public lands on the 4th of July um, because it's like such a wonderful way to celebrate the lands that we live on, Klinka Ani, um, and so we try to be mindful of how we're stewarding the lands that we all care for and that we all share um, and how to carry on the legacy of people who have lived here since time immemorial. An audio postcard from this weekend's 4th of July parade. Voices heard include Heather Bauscher, Carly Dennis, and Patty Dick. Despite the absence of an official fireworks show, Sitka's 4th of July was celebrated with the usual festivities this year. But the fourth day of the month also marks another occasion important to local history, Elizabeth Paradovich's birthday. Some Sitkins are planning to honor the Alaska Native civil rights leader with a new and useful monument. Zach LaPerriere is carving a bench out of a hundred-foot-tall yellow cedar tree. I had been out to Galenkin Island uh, where a yellow cedar tree had blown over onto a building. A very robust, strong tree that uh, had it not blown over, if all had gone well, was ready for hundreds upon hundreds of years of, uh, of a good life. The century-old tree's root structure was compromised, so the owners cut it down and donated it for a woodworking project. LaPerriere has built several yellow cedar benches over the last few years in memory of Sitkins. But this bench is going to be part of a larger tapestry of installations that will tell the history of Sitka and Southeast. It's called the Benches and Birds Project. And the first bench will honor Alaska Native civil rights leader Elizabeth Wanamaker Paradovich, who was instrumental in the passage of the 1945 Anti-Discrimination Act. One of the reasons that we wanted to highlight Elizabeth is because it is time um, that we accept that her legacy is significant, not only locally, but around the world. She is a 
Tlingit woman who has had tremendous influence not only in the past century, but even moving forward. ANS Grand President Paulette Moreno is leading the project with Lloyd Platson. So it, it kind of grew out of a conversation that uh, Paulette and I had about uh, Martin Luther King Day, the service day. And we were talking about wanting to have something that lasts a little bit longer than just a day. They plan to install benches and bird statues around Sitka, but there will be more to them than meets the eye. Each installation will include a QR code that visitors can scan to learn more about the person the bench commemorates. So that people can actually have like a walking history tour. Not only like we were talking about uh, students, but also visitors and people that want to have uh, a greater knowledge of Alaska. The group plans to install the Elizabeth Paradovich bench in front of Centennial Hall, where the statue of Alexander Baranov once stood. The statue of the Russian settler was moved to the Sitka History Museum in 2020 after members of the public called on the assembly to remove it. Moreno says she hopes it will be an opportunity for healing and coming together. Having courageous conversation in our communities brings many things forward. Some of them are pain, some of them are conflict, misunderstandings, but what it ultimately does is bring forward an opportunity for healing, an opportunity to have not only one dominant voice heard, but several voices heard. And Platson says the goal is to install several benches beneath the flagpoles in front of Centennial Hall and create a gathering place where the statue once stood. And so what better way to do that in, in showing diversity of our community by where, where the Baranoff statue was in that area, put something that honored the diversity and the different histories of this place. It's a great area to do that in because that's the kind of the gathering when you think about tourism, that's where a lot of the tourism begins. A lot of the buses leave from there. Moreno says it's a way to perpetuate Elizabeth Paradovich's legacy. Elizabeth's voice is still speaking today. Elizabeth's work is ongoing. She had said something to the effect that even though the law was passed in 1945, there would be ongoing vigilance needed to continue the spirit of the work. I see this as an opportunity to continue the spirit and honor her legacy and to give us a focal point, a touchstone in going forward as we as we understand that we can be and we should be one people with one vision for the good of all. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. For more information or for a link to donate to the Fund for the Bench, visit kcaw.org. The state legislature is considering a pair of bills that would limit the use of certain chemicals in firefighting foam and to help communities whose drinking water has been contaminated. A new study looked at the current impact of those chemicals. KFSK's Katie Anastas reports. PFAS, or per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, have been found in food packaging, cookware, waterproof fabrics, and stain repellents. They're known as forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment. PFAS have been linked to cancer, immune system problems, low infant birth weights, and increased cholesterol. In the first study of its kind since 2004, 
researchers at the University of Washington, Seattle Children's Research Institute, and Indiana University studied PFOS in breast milk. Samples came from 50 first-time mothers in and around Seattle. Every sample had at least one type of PFOS. More than half of the samples had 12 types. Nick Reardon with Alaska Collaborative on Health and the Environment moderated a webinar about the new study on Wednesday. And so while the, the women in the study reside in Washington state, it raises concerns in Alaska. And here in Alaska, at least, we have 10 communities that have PFOS in uh, their drinking water at levels deemed unsafe uh, by the EPA. And PFOS has been found in the water of over 30 Alaskan communities. And it's likely that the number of communities with contaminated water will grow as more sampling is conducted. Reardon said this is especially important to study in Alaska because of its impacts on the natural environment. Concern grows even more as it becomes increasingly clear that PFOS are not only contaminating groundwater and surface waters, but also the fish, the wild game. There's uh, even been closures of several lakes in Alaska to fishing as a result of PFOS contamination. PFOS can get into food through packaging, soil, or water. Sheila Sathya one of the authors of the study, is a pediatric environmental health specialist and the medical director for the newborn nursery at the University of Washington Medical Center. She said one of the best ways to avoid consuming PFOS is by varying your diet and food sources. In Alaska, one way to do that is changing up your fishing spot. Within Alaska, there have been these chemicals found in fish and so if you consume fish from that lake every single day or multiple times a week, you're likely to have higher exposures to these chemicals. Another big source is firefighting foam. Airports and military facilities that use firefighting foam can spread PFOS to groundwater, putting local communities at risk for health impacts. Another author on the study, Erica Schrader, said most foams with PFOS are meant to put out oil fires. So the primary uses have been at places like airports and refineries, and that's resulted in contamination of drinking water. Sathya Narayana said, on an individual level, avoiding processed foods is one of the best ways to reduce consumption of PFAS. One thing that I try to tell people is really there is no zero exposure. Um, in our industrialized societies, we just cannot get to zero. We're all exposed to some amount of chemicals, and so Really, what we want to try to do is work on reducing our overall environmental exposures. On the state level, Senator Jesse Keel and Representative Sarah Hannon have introduced bills to phase out the use of PFOS in firefighting foam, establish drinking water standards, and provide testing and clean water for communities affected by PFOS contamination. In Petersburg, I'm Katie Anastas. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. 